Uh, hi there, everybody, and uh, welcome to Insight Peterborough on this uh, family day. I hope everybody had a good weekend. <clears throat> How was your weekend, Bob? Well, it was uh, a quiet weekend uh, as far as... Uh, and today it had been quiet at home. Uh, we did uh, a few appointments that we needed to do that towards the end of the week with both Carol and I. But other than that, we just... Uh, more or less stayed home and uh, just enjoyed what little bit of good weather that we've had. Back to you. Yep. Well, um, it's um, we got to enjoy that while we have it. And Insight Peterborough is a project of the Peterborough chapter of the Canadian Council for the Blind, of the Blind, otherwise known as uh, the CCB. And... Uh, to begin with, though, we're going to hear uh, an uh, interview, a conversation with Marcy Yale, who is from the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. Um, and she's going to be talking to us, Bob, about the scholarships that uh, they are um, wanting to award to students who are blind, um, partially sighted and deafblind uh, for the coming fall. To um, kind of lead up to that, though, why don't we start with uh, a song by the Bullmarks from way back when called Classmates. Would you like me to try that right now? Let's do it. All right. Almost over, over. Will you become a summer rover, or will you still be my girl? Wow, wow, wow. Classmate, will this parting bring us over? Was my ring a thing you borrowed? Just to set my heart a whirl. Wow, 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 wow. You stole my. Just an old friend Or will vacations prove we're through Wow, 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 wow Wow, 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 wow You stole my Hi there, Marcy, and welcome back to the program. Thank you. 
So before we get talking about scholarships and that sort of thing, and because there isn't a chapter of the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians here in Peterborough yet, can you tell us, uh, kind of uh, refresh our memory, as to what AEBC is? So AEBC is a consumer-run, so completely volunteer organization that provides peer, peer support and advocacy assistance, and we run the scholarship program, and we basically want to increase and and advocate for equality for blind Canadians and partially sighted and deafblind Canadians in society at large. So we want to make things equal so that everybody gets to participate equally in society and in everything that Canada has to offer. Now, Insight Peterborough, as I mentioned each week here, is a project of the Peterborough chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind. Uh, do you think that uh, people can be members of both at the same time? I think they can, as long as as long as as everyone understands that we want to work together, and as long as both both chapters in an area agree that that it's not the wrong thing to do. I'm I'm all for collaboration and I think that we can do more together than we can alone and I mean we've got such a small country and I think we need to we need to learn how to work together more effectively. I would agree with that, and I am a member of uh, of both. I'm the secretary of the chapter here, but and although there is no chapter of AEBC in Peterborough, I am a member at large, and uh, and in fact on the board. So I, I do think that uh, you know each um, organization comes at things a little bit differently. Um, uh, CCB provides a lot of uh, recreational opportunities as well as advocacy, uh, but AEBC is very strong on the advocacy. So, yeah, I, I think we can bo both work together in this country. I agree. Okay, so uh, because you're um, the uh, chair of the, now I never get this right, student... <laughs> Okay. I, I don't know who named it. It was named before I came back to okay. EBC. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So In other I, words, we are the committee that, among other things, runs the scholarship program right. every year. And just before we, we get to that, so I take it that there are several committees um, in AEBC that people could get involved with if they uh, if they became members. Well, right now, I think the only one that is active, well, sort of active, 
Um, waiting for things to happen is the Accessible Canada Act Working Group. Um, we're always waiting for things to happen on the ACA front. Um, we have a communications committee. We have have had an employment committee. It's not active now, but it has been in the past. Uh, we have had membership and leadership and, oh, I can't remember what other committees, but right now I think the only ones that are really active are communications and uh, governance is a, basically a, mostly the board. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the the Student and Education Council Committee. Okay. So, speaking of your committee there that you just mentioned, <laughs> which I won't try to get, won't try to get my mouth around. Uh, what what is it, and uh, what uh, what do you do each year with regard to scholarships? So every year we give out scholarships to blind, deafblind, and partially sighted students who are pursuing post-secondary, and it can be anything post-secondary. It can be upgrading, it can be um, you know, uh, undergrad, graduate, um, technical, vocational, whatever. As long as it's post-secondary, and as long as the student is blind, deafblind, or partially sighted, uh, is a Canadian citizen or permanent resident. So sorry, people from other countries coming here for our excellent education system. Our scholarships are not for you. <laughs> uh, but uh, we give a, a, a number of scholarships changes every year depending on resources. Uh, this year we have seven. <laughs> we have the T-based communication scholarships, we have two of those valued at $1,000 each. We have the AEDC scholarships, thanks to an anonymous donor for the third year in a row, I believe, third or fourth, maybe it's fourth now. Uh, and those are two scholarships at $1,000 each. And then we have the Jennifer Laura Eve Wilson scholarship, which is given from a family of a blind woman who unfortunately passed away too young. And uh, so the family is honoring her. So there are two $1,000 scholarships from there. And then our last scholarship is courtesy of our Winnipeg chapter in memory of two of their former members who unfortunately have passed away, and that's the Campbell McKinder Memorial Scholarship, and it is a value of $500, and it will be given to a deserving student from either Manitoba or Saskatchewan, and we hope this year that we will have some students from Manitoba or Saskatchewan applying. Last year we didn't, unfortunately. And um, that was really sad because we really wanted to be able to honor the, these members. And uh, hopefully this year we'll be able to do that. And our application deadline is Friday, March 27th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. So the end of the day for everyone in Canada. 
the application process is open now, so <laughs> please apply. So how does someone go about applying? So if you go to www.blindcanadians.ca slash programs slash scholarships, there is an application form that can be downloaded from there. The, in, all of the information with all the eligibility criteria is right on the website, and you download the package in French or English and complete the application and email it to scholarship at blindcanadians.ca. And hopefully you will be one of our successful applicants. And what's involved in um, applying? Are there essays and things that you have to write? Yes, there is, first of all, an application form, which is basically just collecting your vital statistics. And then you have to tell us in an essay, no more than four pages long, about yourself, what barriers you've conquered in your life, and, and what, you know, what challenges you've had and how you've overcome them. What your education, your accessible education thoughts are. So how has it, how has accessibility in education helped you? Um, what forms of, you know, what alternative formats do you use? What what you know what do you feel is important in education, and how has it helped you? And then what is your community involvement? How have you given back to the community? What are you doing outside of school? Are you working, you know, for an organization? Are you, you know, helping other people? Like, what are you doing to fulfill that community involvement in your life? And they also need to send us a transcript, which, although it doesn't really form part of the judgment, it gives us an idea of where you're at. And a reference letter from someone who can talk about your academic pursuits and how you're doing and what they think you, about your, you know, what your career goals are and how they fit and how they will, you know, how they'll, they'll work for you. And you send it all in and we have three people that will sit and look over all of the applications and find those students that are fantastic. And there are a lot of amazing students out there. It's, um, it's amazing to read the essays and just get to know people and, you know, and we can only know you through what you write us. So when you write us, please, you know, be specific and, and be clear and just don't, you know, don't just send us a resume. We don't, we don't want just a list of, you know, <laughs> of pursuits. We want to hear about you. Mm-hmm. So toot your own horn. That's right. And toot it loud. Right. <laughs> On average, how many applications do you get a year? Oh, that's really, I don't know. Last year, I think we had 12. The year before, I think we had 19 or so. There has been a year, I remember back in the mid, mid early 2000s when we had like 
40 applications. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> you never know. And this year, our advertising has gone far and wide. We're on scholarship.ca. We're on disabilityawards.ca. Uh, we've been, you know, we're, we're on, there's a, a University of Montreal scholarship website where we are featured. Cool. You never know. should be asking you. application where to send it, yes? Yes, it does. Okay. All right. Thanks, uh, Marcy, for speaking with us, and uh, good luck to any uh, future applicants, and I hope you get uh, a lot of applicants. Oh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> and anybody in the uh, Peterborough area wishing to uh, um, see a chapter of AEBC, here in Peterborough, you can get in touch with me at insightpeterborough at gmail.com. Okay, thanks, uh, Marcy, uh, and I, I'm sure we'll talk again sometime, and uh, all the best with those, uh, uh, awarding those scholarships. And thank you for having me. And that was Marcy Yale talking to us from her home in Huntsville, Ontario about the scholarships available through AEBC. And uh, so you should go to, if you're interested, as a blind, deafblind, or partially sighted student, regardless of your age, you should uh, check it out through blindcanadians.ca. I wish that I had had that opportunity when I was taking my course in radio broadcasting. That would have been cool. Would they have helped you with your uh, tuition or anything like that, Devin? Yeah, if I had been successful in um, applying and uh, getting my my application uh, chosen, that would have been neat. Um, I should mention, too, that uh, uh, Marcy mentioned T-Base. T-Base uh, does uh, a lot of, uh, and they are located in Ottawa, and uh, they do a lot of uh, brailing for people, and uh, they've been working with the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians very closely for many years now, so we appreciate 
them uh, making those scholarships available. Is there uh, corporate uh, assistance in uh, helping provide these uh, scholarships, uh, Devin? Uh, well, uh, T-Base is a, is a business, and uh, it provides, I think Marcy said two scholarships, and uh, others are through um, donations by um, either people in memory of, of uh, others who have passed away or uh, uh, chapters, various chapters of uh, AEBC, like the one in uh, Winnipeg. Well, all of those, uh, I'm sure, are appreciated, but as you say, it is something that wasn't available uh, to you when you were uh, taking your courses. No, and that was quite a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention that. Right? Uh, I know. <laughs> so, all right, uh, we're going to move on to talk to, actually, this is a recording, uh, an interview that I did last year for Heart Month, and uh, February is Heart and Stroke Month, and uh, we're going to uh, play that in uh, a minute or two after we hear, and it's about sleep apnea. So I thought it was kind of appropriate for us to play something about sleep, so I thought Gordon Lightfoot's Talking in Your Sleep was a, a good idea. And when you do hear the interview, You'll hear that I, I have a little bit of uh, laryngitis. However, the show had to go on, so that is what we did. All right. Shall we listen to Gordon now? Yeah, let's do that. I heard you talking in your sleep. Is there anything that I can do? Don't believe we've had a word all day About anything at all I heard you talking in the night That's right, yes I heard you call Though I could hardly hear the name you spoke It's a name I don't recall I heard you softly whisper I reached out to hold you near me Then from lips there came that secret I was not supposed to know I heard you talking in your sleep Is there anything that I can say? I reached out to hold you near me Then 
I heard you talking in your sleep Is there anything that I can do? I don't believe we've had a word all day About anything at all I heard you talking in the night That's right, yes I heard you call Though I could hardly hear the name you spoke It's a name I don't recall As we all know, February is Heart Month, and more of us are getting to know that something called sleep apnea is a major cause of heart disease and various other things. So I thought it would be a good idea to come to Vital Air here in the Alexander Building and chat with somebody who knows all sorts of things about sleep apnea. And uh, he is Norm Amaro, who is a respiratory therapist. Hi, Norm, and welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. So what is sleep apnea? Well, <laughs> sleep apnea, apnea is simply the word meaning um, lack of breath or stopping breathing. So. So you stop breathing in your sleep and it's caused by the muscles relaxing too much in your throat and um, basically it, it causes the, uh, the airway to block and stops your breathing. Um, there are reported cases back almost 5,000 years. Wow. Uh, there are some hieroglyphic papyrus uh, stuff written describing in exact detail what uh, somebody going through sleep apnea so um, it's been around for a long long time uh, it's only been treatable for the past 30 32 years or so mm-hmm so how did they discover how to treat sleep apnea um, that's a really good question because uh, it used to be done in the hospital only mm-hmm and uh, when somebody came up with uh, the idea that we could do it at home, uh, there was a big fight um, between the uh, anesthetists and the rest of the world. <laughs> they sort of said, we shouldn't be doing this at home, it's a very critical thing, and uh, then somebody figured out that it really, you know, it was going to be a lot easier to get these people out of intensive care and into their own homes on a CPAP machine. Right. Uh, um, so how do how do they determine that you in fact have sleep apnea? Um, sometimes it's your significant other that uh, basically wants to kick you out of the bed, <laughs> um, but uh, they they do send people to sleep labs, and um, it's a, a reasonably involved procedure where they hook you up with. Uh, just a whole whack of wires on your head and they're measuring electroencephalograms, so EEG, and they hook up some wires on your chest to measure your heart, so that's an EKG. 
and then they measure, they put wires on your arms and your legs to measure limb movement, and they put something at the tip of your nose to measure your breathing, and a couple of bands around, and uh, the joke around here is that they really should call it a sleepless lab. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so they can determine how, uh, how many times you wake up in the night? Yeah, so nor normally the procedure is they have you uh, go to the sleep lab once and they wire you up and watch you sleep and they determine whether or not you in fact have sleep apnea. So they can tell, you know, whether you stopped five times an hour or 150 times an hour. Yeah. Um, the record that I've seen so far is 179 times an hour. Wow. So the person uh, was breathing roughly three times a minute. That's... Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. Um, and then they normally br will bring you back to the sleep lab a second night and uh, wire you up again. And then they put a device on you to figure out whether or not this is going to help stop the sleep apnea. So we talked uh, a couple of minutes ago in my introduction about sleep apnea affecting the heart. How? does that happen? Um, now I'm going to give you a long explanation here. Okay. <laughs> um, let's start with balloons. So if I give you a balloon and I take a pair of scissors, so this is just an empty balloon, no air in it. Okay. If I gave you a uh, pair of scissors and we snip the closed end off, you basically have a floppy tube. If you try to suck through that tube, the tube is going to collapse. The harder you, suck, you, harder you try to suck air through that tube, the tighter it's going to collapse. So your airway is divided into two major parts. The part below your voice box, or your Adam's apple, that's your trachea. That goes down into the lungs. And that's a really good, hard, rigid tube. The tube above your Adam's apple, or your voice box, that is basically a floppy tube. It's like the balloon. And, but unlike the balloon, you have a neck. And in that neck you have muscles, and those muscles are attached to the outside of your tube, and they pull outwards. So they basically leave a hole in the middle, and that's what you normally breathe through. So as long as, your mus as, long as you have enough muscle tone um, in your neck muscles, it's holding the airway open, and there's no big deal. So when most people, even with people with sleep apnea, when they're awake, they're not snoring or anything. They just are breathing. As they fall asleep, your muscles relax. So if you've ever watched somebody fall asleep on a lazy boy or something, um, you see them sort of tilt over to the side and they start to get a little floppy and then <laughs> the sound. So basically as the airways, as your muscles relax, as you're falling asleep, the muscles holding your airway open, they're relaxing as well. And that tube starts to go from a nice patent open tube to one that's starting to get a little bit floppy. So it's starting to approach what, a, what, a, what the balloon is. It's mm -hmm. a floppy tube. And they start to snore. A lot, not everybody, but most people with sleep apnea will snore. Then they get from light sleep into dark sleep, deep sleep. I keep on talking about dark <laughs> sleep. Um, they go from light sleep into deep sleep. And when you transition into deep sleep, there is a huge muscle relaxation. So your muscles relax a lot. And the muscles holding your airway open, now they're just basically not strong enough to hold it open. So basically you've got a balloon there. When you go to take a breath in, the airway literally collapses. It literally 
just snap shut. Yeah. So now your brain says, oh, this isn't good. Yeah. <laughs> so it sends a signal down to the breathing muscles, so your diaphragm and your chest muscles, and it says, breathe harder. Well, the harder you try to suck through a floppy balloon, the tighter the balloon goes. Mm-hmm. So the tar- harder you try to take a breath through this floppy tube, the, har- the, cl- the tighter the tube collapses. So now all of a sudden you're using a lot of muscles in your chest. You've stopped, we've cut off your air supply while you're exercising. So your oxygen level is going to go down. Right. And your brain is going to say, this is not helping, um, making things worse actually. So now all of a sudden your oxygen level is dropping, your muscles are working harder, and your brain says, oh, look at that, you're exercising because your muscles are, are working. So if you were on a treadmill, walking, you know, I get you running on the treadmill, um, your heart rate's going to go up. Yeah. And the reason the heart rate goes up is to move more blood because blood is what carries the oxygen. So blood is, oxygen is, is in, the, in the blood cells, uh, in, the, in the blood, and if you want to move more oxygen, you have to move more blood, so you speed up the heart. Wonderful idea when you're breathing. Yes. <laughs> Stupid idea when you're not breathing. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got a, a, a big muscle. Uh, the heart is a big muscle. It's basically burning lots of oxygen. It's somewhat important to your life. <laughs> and now you're getting it to work overtime while you starve it. Right. So the brain says, okay, enough of this. You have to figure out maybe somebody's holding a pillow over your head and you've got to wake up and fight it off. So we lose muscle tone as we fall asleep. We get muscle tone back the closer we get to becoming awake. So as you're waking up, before you hit the, hey, I'm awake stage, you're at the, hey, I'm almost awake stage, but I'm still asleep and I have no idea any of this is happening. Yeah. And you get enough muscle tone to go, and you take a nice deep breath in. Yeah. And now your brain sees all this fresh air come in and it says, hey, you don't have to wake up any more than this. <laughs> Go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, this happens over and over and over again. So mild sleep apnea is five to 15 times an hour of stopping breathing. Moderate is around 30. Uh, severe is basically over 40, over 30, over 40. Mm-hmm. We've had up to my record in this that I've seen is 179 times an hour. Wow, yeah. And so that would have major effects on your heart. Yes. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. So people who have sleep apnea, if you compare them to people who don't have sleep apnea, the group with sleep apnea has a significantly higher risk of heart disease and heart attacks, um, a very high risk of um, high blood pressure, a significant increased risk of um, stroke. There are some memory issues involved. Uh, a lot of people with sleep apnea have really, really lousy memories. Um, there's a mild increased risk of congestive heart failure. There's a massive increased risk of type 2 diabetes and a inability to lose weight. So not everybody gets all of them or any of them, but uh, people with sleep apnea are at a significantly higher risk of getting something. Um, the most common ones are high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, and being overweight. Okay. What's the method now of treating sleep apnea? The, the gold standard is CPAP, and that stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure. 
and basically it's just an air pump and we're going to put a mask over the person's face and it's literally going to inflate the floppy parts <laughs> and hold them open. So again, uh, it's, it's tech, if you ask an engineer, give me the engineering definition of what sleep apnea or what CPAP is, it's technically known as a pneumatic splint. And if you think of a car tire, that's a perfect example of a pneumatic splint. Basically, you put air pressure into the tube, it pushes up against the walls, keeps the rims off the road, everybody's happy. We're going to put a mask over the face, and it's going to inflate the back of the throat. So when you relax enough to the point where your airway would normally be collapsing, when you have the CPAP on, it basically the air pressure holds it open, just like the car tire, so it doesn't collapse, which means you can now get into the deep sleep, and deep sleep is where all the good stuff happens. Right. I have a brother-in-law with ALS, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, and he has what they call a BiPAP. What's the difference between a CPAP and a BiPAP? Okay, CPAP is one continuous pressure. So if, if the doctor says, I want uh, you to set the pressure for this person to 10, basically when the machine goes on, uh, at some point in time during the night it's going to reach 10 and it's going to stay there. One pressure when they breathe in and when they breathe out. BiPAP is two different pressures and they have a higher pressure when you breathe in and a lower pressure when you breathe out and it usually is to do with people with more severe issues than just sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. So uh, if the person can trigger the machine to cycle on the higher pressure will actually blow more air in and actually help that person get a larger volume of air without having to do the work. When, the, when they cycle the machine off, the pressure drops, so it's much, much easier for that air to come back out again. Okay. So people with neuromuscular problems or what's called uh, chronic uh, nocturnal hypoventilation, um, they basically, their breathing becomes so shallow that they build up carbon dioxide. Oh. And what happens is when they trigger the machine, even though they're only using a little bit of effort, they get a bigger breath. Mm -hmm. which blows out that carbon dioxide and it's a, it's a very simple treatment uh, for, for a, a rather severe disease. Yeah, yeah. So um, have, has the size of the CPAP machine uh, decreased over the years? Yeah, quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, if we looked at the first ones, um, they're about the size of four loaves of bread. If you took two loaves of bread and put them side by side and then stack two more on top of them, that's about the size of one of the earlier machines. And now the machines are about the size of one loaf of bread. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, easier for traveling. Yes. <laughs> and uh, what about the uh, price? What are we looking at? Um, in Ontario, uh, and Ontario is one of the few provinces that actually has a, a, a government program that will help subsidize the, the, fund, the, the, the cost of the machines. Mm -hmm. um, if you qualify, basically, so you have to go to the sleep lab and they have to say, yes, you have sleep apnea, and yes, sleep ap a CPAP will actually deal with it. So that the government doesn't pay for things that, that don't work. Um, the, they will uh, 
offset 75% of the cost of the machine. Okay. So the machine is $860 in Ontario, and they will pay $645, so the remaining portion is $215. Mm-hmm. Now, that does not include filters and extra tubing and masks and stuff like that. Uh, so we can, from scratch, I can I can keep you down to in the vicinity of around $500, depending on what parts and pieces you want. I can get you up to over 800 fairly quickly. Yeah, I'll bet. Um, <laughs> if you want a whole bunch of extra stuff. But uh, if somebody came in and said, you know, I, I, I need you to keep my cost down, we can we can keep it down. Um, if somebody comes in here and says, um, I want everything, then yeah, <laughs> we, we can do that too. Sure. <laughs> and uh, you do sell them here at, uh, at Vital Air. We do. Uh-huh. Yes. You don't have to order them out or anything like that. No, uh, no. But there is a process. I mean, yeah. basically, we need a prescription, and we yeah. need the government form signed uh, before we we can sell you through the government program. Um, one additional thing, though, is if you are on a government, uh, like an Ontario uh, social assistance, like ODSP mm-hmm. or Ontario Works, um, the fact that you're on that program authorizes the government to cover more. Ah. So uh, if you're on ODSP, we can get pretty well 100% of everything covered. Okay. Um, and on Ontario Works, it's almost 100%. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very, very close. Okay. Now, quite often with um, uh, stuff that you can get through the assistive devices program, uh, you can renew every five years. Does that work with CPAPs? Yes and no. Um, the the government program will come available every five years, mm-hmm. but the Ministry of Health says that there's got to be something wrong with the equipment. Okay. So if you have a perfectly functioning equipment uh, machine, um, their intent is not to buy you a second machine. So uh, we normally have to have a look at it and see if there's anything wrong with it, um, which usually is done here, but we may have to send it out. But um, basically, and the other thing is you, you need to have been seen in the sleep lab recently. So um, we have a number of people who will come in after 10 years and they've never seen a sleep doctor since the first time and they want to get another machine because their machine is making some god-awful noises. Then <laughs> um, we explain that you have to be seen by the sleep doctor mm-hmm. and... Um, a lot of people don't want to go back to the sleep lab. They've ah. had a bad experience. And uh, I will say most sleep labs are much nicer to go to now than they were 10 years ago. Yes. So, um, But nobody's going to sign a prescription um, based on something that happened 10 years ago. Right. You, know, you wouldn't go to surgery and have the doctor say, oh, we've got some 10-year-old uh, x-rays. That should be good enough to figure out what we're going to do today. Um, they need they need to be seen, you know, something that's that's recent. Yes. How often do you suggest that people with uh, CPAP machines should come in for uh, a look at the CPAP and any maintenance or whatever? Um, if they're running fine without any issues. Um, us having a look at it, I, I would say no more than once a year. Okay. Um, and just having a peek and making sure the pressure is at the right pressure. Um, masks, even though everybody keeps their mask way longer than they should, 
we tell people um, you should be replacing masks about once a year. Okay. Um, and I'm going to give you some hints on how to save money now. Yes, okay. Okay. Um, wash your mask every day. Uh, that is a huge deal. It's the oil from your skin that gets into the material and it breaks it down and they don't seal very well anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, so people who come in and say, oh, I wash my, ma- I wash my mask religiously once a month, um, their mask doesn't seal well. So we tell people, get the oils off in the morning. We tell people, use a little bit of dish soap, because uh, that will break down the, the oils and get them off. And um, just get, it, get the oil off every morning. And uh, if you do that, the mask will last much, much, much longer. Okay. And does the CPAP have filters? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, every CPAP has a filter in there, or two, one or two filters. Yep. Um, that is a huge deal in keeping them uh, from getting uh, dirt in the bearings. And uh, the most common fault that we see when somebody comes in with a machine that's making some god-awful noises, uh, it's the bearings. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, it sounds sort of like a squeal. And uh, if you clean the filters and change the filters on a regular basis, um, that basically stops the, the dirt and the pollen and stuff from getting into the bearings and uh, keeps them longer. So I, we have, I have a gentleman who has a 20-year-old machine. Wow. And um, he is religious about filters, and the machine is actually working really, really well. Wow. Um, that's rare. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's very very picky about cleaning his masks and he has you know two year old masks that still look like they're you know a month old wow. and he has he changes his filter very religiously every month and it, it shows like the machine just simply lasts longer terrific so if anyone uh, is uh, wanting to ask uh, questions or bring their CPAP machine in you're here in the Alexander building yes right Sweet. Uh, 101. 101. Thank you very much, Norm, for doing this with us. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, that was Norm Amaro from Vital Air, and he is a respiratory therapist, and he was explaining to us all about uh, sleep apnea. And, uh, boy, uh, sleep certainly does play an important part in our lives there, doesn't it, Bob? Well, you know, uh, I think that it's uh, recommended now and uh, recognized, if you will, that there are many things that we need to survive. We need air, of course. We need water. We need food. And finally, we need sleep. Yeah, that's uh, one of the forms of torture that uh, people inflict on people, uh, uh, sleep deprivation. And we can't last very long without sleep. Um, I've done 24 hours. I I used to be able to do 24 hours without sleep, without uh, too much uh, major effect, but uh, boy, I sure can't do it now. (laughs) Well, you know, if you're doing a lot of activity, for example, driving, or doing something that is uh, requiring a certain amount of alertness, Mm -hmm. then you really do need sleep. Otherwise, 
you could hurt yourself, or you could have an accident if you're driving a car, or you could damage uh, something that you find very important in your life. You could uh, just say, well, um, I'm okay, but guess what? You might not be. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, one of these days, uh, I wrote an article uh, about this, but if I ever get the chance to interview someone about a non-24-hour sleep-wake disorder, um, I will. A lot of people who are unable to see light uh, experience that, and uh, so their circadian rhythm or biological clock uh, changes, and uh, the body, the rest of the body doesn't uh, keep up with the uh, changes very well, and uh, you'll find yourself sleeping during the day and uh, unable to sleep at night. And uh, I have found that if I take melatonin, um, oh, an hour or two before I'm ready to go to sleep, that seems to work quite well. Uh, but it uh, doesn't for everybody, and uh, there is a medication that you that uh, is available in the states. I don't know whether it's available here or not, but uh, anyway, um, one of these days I'll get the chance to uh, find somebody that we can talk to about that. So between the melatonin and uh, a CPAP, which uh, I use. <laughs> I, it seems to work uh, fairly well now. I remember one Thanksgiving I was with um, a sister and then uh, also a brother and sister-in-law, and uh, I was kind of chuckling out loud because they were all using CPAPs and I wasn't. And uh, But I knew that uh, I was supposed to go for a sleep study, and uh, they had the last laugh because I ended up with a CPAP as well. <laughs> all, all three. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, they, they had, all three of them had it, and then I would have had it and did have it uh, later on in the year. So anyway, they... But there is medications, as you mentioned, uh, that can help you uh, if you're driving or if you're requiring sleep. There are medications that a doctor can prescribe if that is needed. Yeah, that's very true. I have another sister who said to me, how come everybody's using CPAPs these days? We never used to have them. Well, back then we had a, a lot of uh, uh, early... Um, mortality and that sort of thing so um, we need to be grateful for what we have and uh, uh, that's just one other way in which there are uh, more people living into their hundreds well you know what uh, I remember my father that uh, had a hard time at night uh, snoring of course he smoked as well mm -hmm. so that did not help and and no one ever said, you know, you have sleep apnea or that there was any cure. cure. No. You just, he just had to live with it. And, of course, he did not live all that long. Uh-huh. Well, sleep apnea probably is a term that's only been 
heard of uh, for the past, uh, what, 30 years maybe? Or less. Or less. Or less, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, uh, had to go to uh, a doctor over that, and of course they had to determine uh, what, you know, the problem was. And uh, that is one of the reasons why you should have, I think, a family doctor who has your history, your medical history, and they can come up with uh, solutions. So I would start with saying, okay, if you think you have a problem like that, be sure that you have a regular family doctor. If you can. If you can, of course. Yeah, the, these days there's such a shortage of family doctors. Well... I've been lucky, but uh, there are others who definitely aren't as lucky to find one. Well, you know that... Uh, I guess you can always uh, attend an emergency hospital if you think that you need to, but that is, shall we say, a, a sort of a second-rate solution? Yeah, our emergency rooms are so busy these days that uh, if you can find a family doctor or even a walk-in clinic that will kind of uh, follow you as you go through whatever tests are necessary, but that isn't always possible either. No, but um, having regular uh, checkups, regular visits uh, to a uh, practitioner, uh, they can come up with, uh, you know, just by asking you a few questions. Yeah. Since they know your history, they'll say, well, how, is you, how are you doing this way? Mm -hmm. And then proceed from there, whether it's medication or some other means to help you. And I think that... Uh, uh, sometimes, as we are getting older, we need help usually somewhere. Else. Yeah. So, Bob, do we have time to do one last little bit of celebrating of Valentine's Day? Oh yes, February. The, did you get a heart or a flower? Uh, I I got a flower, but um, I passed it along to somebody else because they would be able to appreciate it more than I could, uh, not having a sense of smell. And uh, that's one thing that we um, are hopefully going to have a chat about next uh, week because right. February 27th is anosmia, awareness day, which anosmia is the lack of a sense of smell, and that can be a disability. But um, right now I, I came across... Asanya, do you remember Alfalfa from The Little Rascals? I do indeed. <laughs> um so I thought we could finish off with uh, Alfalfa singing Let Me Call You Sweetheart. All right, let's do Have that. a good week, everybody. Yeah, and you, both of us, I think we're going to have a great time, aren't we? Yes, yeah.